May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we arrive at this morning's gospel and we hear another unlikely story from Jesus. In speaking to the disciples, Jesus tells them about this dishonest manager, this person who ran this rich man's household and wastefully misused the resources entrusted to him. When he is called out and asked to account for all his actions, he thinks only of himself. His initial thoughts are inward. What about me? What is he going to do? How is he going to be able to hold his head up in public? Aren't everybody, isn't everybody going to laugh at him and think him ridiculous because he got fired for being dishonest? And what would people think of him? I mean, he's too good to beg. He doesn't want to be seen on the street corners. He's too frail for physical labor. So what will happen to him? So he sits down and he thinks and he decides that he's going to butter up the people who owe the rich man. Sort of living fully into his unscrupulous nature, hoping that, you know, maybe they'll be nice to me if I'm good to them and I'll cut their debts and they'll feel happy and they'll invite me in and they'll give me shelter, they'll give me a home. I mean, honestly, what could it hurt? He's already been fired. Might as well be as unscrupulous as he can be. And then the really, really weird thing is the master, instead of getting mad at him, actually commends him and says, you know, good job. You are really, really unscrupulous. It's a bizarre story. We would think Jesus would be condemning this man and telling us to be different. So what's going on here? Two weeks ago, when in the sermon then we talked about using shock as a pedagogical tool, a way of waking people up and getting them to think differently. I mean, it's really helpful when our thoughts are entrenched in a certain line of thinking to be shocked out of what is going on. And we certainly see Jesus employing it here. I mean, this really is the last person we would think Jesus to hold up as an example. I mean, the good Samaritan, okay, yeah, we got that. You know, the, the, the woman who searched for her lost coin last week, we understand that one. The prodigal son's father, yeah, that one too. But this person, what is he doing here? The Swiss biblical scholar Francois Bovon suggests that what Jesus is actually doing here is giving us an example of heinous behavior in order to elicit better living. He writes, Jesus stopped middle-class sensitivities and advocating unworthy conduct in an order to bring out the better. The way that we're given a really exaggerated, bad example, and we respond, yeah, we can be better than that. I also think part of the idea is that in some ways, we all can understand or identify with the dishonest manager. We all have the drive to protect ourselves. We all have the drive to ensure safety and security for the future, to use resources to our own 
benefit. And perhaps these are all natural urges. And so Jesus takes these things we feel and turns them up to the nth degree so that we can see where we need to change in our lives. Okay, so that's all in good, but then Jesus says something else. He says that for those of us to follow the way, we need to make friends for ourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal home. Kind of saying, we have to be like the dishonest manager, but in a better way. I think at the crux of what's going on here is this idea of dishonest wealth. It's something that we hear a few verses further, and what does it really mean? I think part of what it means is that wealth is, by its nature, dishonest. Wealth lies to us all the time. It tells us that the thing that makes us important is wealth. That if we have money or possessions, then we are somebody. We're somebody. We're somebody important that people should look at. But wealth doesn't make us kind. Wealth doesn't make us compassionate or kind. Wealth tells us that we're safe and secure. That if we just have enough, if we put enough away in an IRA or 401k or pension, or we have enough in the bank, that life will be easy and that we'll be safe. But wealth doesn't guarantee good health. Wealth doesn't protect us from terrible diseases. Wealth can't ensure that tragedy won't strike. Wealth can't guarantee a life of ease and security, even though it says that it will. Wealth is deceitful. Wealth tells us that if we pursue it, we will be happy. That if we acquire the right possessions, the right home, the right car, we live in the right neighborhood, we get the right clothes and jewelry, then we'll be happy. But there's always something more. You never have enough. There's always somebody with more things. There's always something new to want. And you can still be miserable with all the possessions in the world. Now, this isn't to say that money doesn't make life easier because it can and it does. Just that wealth is deceitful. Wealth lies when it says, my place is at the top of your list and takes God's rightful place. Wealth is not natural to the human condition. We're born with nothing and we die with nothing. Wealth is a human construct, not a divine creation. It's not something sacred or holy. And at the center of the deceit is that voice that whispers to us and says, I'm the most important thing. It replaces God, but it's not God. And so Jesus says to take this dishonest wealth and to make friends with it. Use it. Spread it around. Bovon continuing to think about this passage says the friends are those who benefit from the sharing of your goods. This idea that 
dishonest wealth is made clean through clothing the naked and feeding the poor, feeding the hungry, for looking out for those around you that the only proper use of wealth is according to the economy of the kingdom of God. The economy based on wealth, not on wealth, but on love. The place where the currency isn't possessions or investments or tradable commodities, but love and compassion and kindness. Jesus is saying, if a dishonest manager can use wealth to make friends and inadvertently care for the needs of others, how much more should we, those who follow the way, those who subscribe to a different economy, a different way of being, be able to make friends, to care for others, to live into love with this wealth that is dishonest, and that will be what you find in the eternal homes. And at the heart of our gospel teaching, the message that we don't belong to the system of the world, a system that views people as potential sources of gain, a system that sends asylum seekers all across the country without notice. We say, no, love is our currency. God is our top priority. In a few moments, we're going to be welcoming Isabella into this kingdom living through the waters of baptism. With her, we're going to renew our baptismal vows and remind ourselves what it is like to be faithful in the much. Not in the little, not the things of this world, but the much, the love, the compassion, and the caring of the kingdom of God, the true riches. I invite all of us to take this opportunity to realign ourselves, not with the deceit of wealth, but with the love of God. To make that choice and to proclaim it to the world through word and action, to say with every part of our being that love reigns here, that God reigns here. Amen.